0: All right, John, so here we are, here we are, excuse me, here we are, what are we even talking about?
1: <laughs> uh, summer. Great summer, start. Summer's here. We're a uh, new episode. Summer. A little bigger, I mean, summer's raging, isn't it, in Southern Europe? Oh, well, yeah, not, yeah. But not here. It's, been it's a very different kind of weather we've yeah. had, just cold and wet. Yeah, I've loved it. Yeah, so, well, I, I mean, you know. Climate change is, is an issue, isn't it? And, Ooh, well, um,
0: there's that. Honestly, it's just hot weather's gross. And I, I love yeah, you know, to wear a jumper yeah. in July.
1: <laughs> but it's, uh, it's clearly getting worse. And actually, one of the things we might discuss about uh, the effect of the by-elections last week, which we're going to come to in a moment, right. is how climate change, environmental issues, look like they're going to be off the table
0: yeah.
1: at the elections uh, when the general election turns up yeah. because of one of the by-election results which could be quite interesting
0: right. and then also we're talking about um a podcast that was published by the BBC a few years ago which is going to be the first episode segment in a larger series on anarchy at the BBC
1: yeah anarchy at the BBC what a yeah. great title <laughs> yeah uh, radio show rather than podcast it's right a podcast, yeah. it's available now as a podcast yeah um but we'll get to that in a moment shall we yeah I understand. Cool. Let's start with the by-elections last week, then. There were three right. by-elections. All of them were previously held by conservatives. Um, and all three were expected to go to Labour. Uh, sorry, no. All three were expected to be lost by the conservatives. Right. That's uh, that's the right way around. Um, uh, Labour were expected to take two of them, and the Liberal Democrats were expected to take one of them. Um, but there was a bit of a surprise on the night because the Conservatives managed to cling on to one. Right. And it seems to have buoyed the Conservatives more than it should have done. Yeah. And it seems to have spooked the Labour Party more than it should have done. Yeah. And, and this is, this is uh, the seat in Uxbridge and South Ryslip, which yeah. was previously held by the disgraced uh, Prime Minister Boris Johnson, right. former Prime Minister, which is in West London. Yes, oh, indeed, wow. and uh, the reason that, or oh, the, the the reason it appears they lost the seat is because of the Labour Mayor of London's policy to expand something called ULES, mm-hmm. which stands for Ultra Low Emission Zone. Yeah, and um, that's going to cost people money if they have. gas guzzling diesel cars basically yeah and the conservatives campaigned on that basis and managed to cling on to the seat they won by 410 votes something like that Uh, so not a huge victory and ulez is an issue that is specific to a certain number of london seats Mm -hmm. uh, when it comes to a general election so it's not likely to be a big issue when it gets finally round to the general election between now and the next general election there's going to be the London mayoral elections in May next year.
0: Right.
1: Uh, unless we're surprised by a general election anytime soon. Um and so ULEZ will be an issue that is kind of uh, dealt with yeah. in that election I would have thought.
0: Yeah.
1: Um so I don't think the Conservatives should get too excited about it. But what's really interesting is how spooked Yeah. Labour seems to be about it because they're now worried about any kind of policy that the Conservatives can um, drive a wedge on in terms of them and their, and, and their supporters. And it,
0: it seems somewhat easy to resolve as well because ULS is different. So there's a bunch of city centers in the UK that have restrictions on older cars, high emission cars or vehicles. Uh, I know Birmingham's plan. Um, I think maybe like Cardiff or something. There's a few of them, and what they're doing in other areas is is giving people if people trade in their vehicle, they're giving them either credit for public transport or mm. credit towards a new vehicle. Yeah. Whereas in London, that's not happening, right? Right.
1: Yeah. So
0: like in London, it's 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 you know if you have an old vehicle, which you know does affect small business owners and um, predominantly working class people, mm. you have to pay these fees. So everyone who I know in London is kind of is you know in principle but the execution very much against it because it's gonna like you know so this is why i think it's really unpopular and from my understanding a lot of that is because the money isn't coming from central
1: government to subsidize the program there's no money for anything that's that's going to be a great theme for the next general election how britain is going to get out of the mess that it's in people are calling it broken britain or whatever uh without spending any money because yeah. the two main parties, are, we're back to austerity, really. Yeah. Two main parties are not committed to spending anything. Yeah. Uh, the Conservatives do get around this sometimes by actually spending money and um, and and surprising Labour by doing so, or stealing Labour's policies yeah. or whatever. But Labour, the moment they commit to spending any money, the media is like, "Where's that coming from? Yeah. How are taxpayers going to pay for it? Is it? It's not going to be borrowing, is it? This idea of borrowing being..." bad right is is really part of our political culture right now which doesn't tend to happen in in other countries in yeah. quite the same way
0: Well, everyone can borrow apart from the government in this country
1: yeah yeah absolutely yeah and um public expenditure is never seen as an investment yeah i was thinking about this uh, walking around this morning thinking we were going to have a chat later i was thinking like just imagine if we had a publicly owned railway system mm. The government could announce, well, instead of cutting all of the um, ticket office spaces, which they're planning to do, the companies that own the railways are cutting staff down at ticket offices. So you have to buy your ticket online, and there's nobody at a station. Potentially, yeah. there's lots of stations like that already. Yeah. Just imagine if a government came out and said, "Well, we own this, and we're actually gonna we're gonna make sure that there's somebody in every station all the time that the station is open. Yeah. Whenever it's open." that would create i don't know thousands of jobs i'm guessing around yeah. the country yeah. and therefore you've got lots of people with extra salaries that they don't have yeah. at the moment and in also their local communities uh, it could actually boost the economy yeah like-
0: and a greater sense of community as well so this is what mike lynch yeah. talks about with the closures he's like we need to well the 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 kind of these jobs, it's like, when you take that away, you're taking away people on the platform that diffuses, you know, nasty social interactions or helps people with accessibility needs and stuff.
1: So it's, it's, it's more than just creating jobs as well it's creating a Mm. sense of culture and inclusion as well. So labor is very scared to talk about spending any money whatsoever. And one of the big environmental pushes that we're seeing from our politics is this idea of net zero. Yeah and getting to net zero you can't do it without investing in green energy and you you know yeah. you can't do it without offsetting stuff which costs money um and that is a classic example of of uh you and and the seat in Huxbury is is a classic example of what happens right now and what could happen in the future with people being scared about their own finances and the possibility of trying to have a greener future yeah the very same week that southern europe is on fire
0: yeah greece yeah
1: you know so we we, (laughs) it's not the first time that that this has been really obvious that we are a very odd species uh, Mm. and we're a, a very insular looking country within that species but we really uh you know we're really in a situation where politicians can convince just enough people that being environmentally friendly is a bad idea for them yeah and that's enough to tip the balance 410 votes yeah and there
0: was a big uh majority before
1: right uh it was around about seven thousand before that um it's it's on it it should be if labor are going to win the next election it should be an easy win right um so it just shows you that by election you're going to get local issues which which make it a little bit trickier at a general election Ulez will not be the issue, but net zero could be if right. the Conservatives play it. Yeah. It could and, be an and, issue.
0: And Kirstam has already rolled back, he's national green energy company. Yeah, he's it? delayed
1: it. So there's like, I can't remember how much, how many billions they're planning to uh, to invest in green energy, but the idea of having a, a company that's part nationally owned mm. uh, investing in green energy uh well it seems rather sensible doesn't it yeah (laughs) so they've delayed it (laughs) but in
0: the communities that were decimated by um the closure of the mining pits yeah yeah
1: problems we're in a very odd situation we've said about it before how people have talked about whether this next election is similar to 1992 where the conservatives just scraped in or whether it's similar to 1997 where they got a big labor got a big majority uh and how actually it's different yeah because it's it's neither of those two things labor could win that big like in 1997 but the circumstances are so much different uh because uh, in the run-up to the 97 election the economy was doing well yeah and labor could come in straight away and actually make changes that people could notice the difference from yeah if labor win uh in a year and a half or whenever the election is uh it looks like they're not going to do anything mm. Uh, they're relying on this idea of reform. Yeah. But reform without money means taking money from one thing so you can use it elsewhere. It, it basically does mean austerity of some some form, I think.
0: Yeah.
1: And um, the chances of, of us feeling any benefit uh, will depend on whether they get those reforms right. Yeah. It's a bit hit and miss. Yeah. So their they're, <laughs> they're objective, and I, I think I've said this before on the podcast, uh, Keir Starmer's objective is to present himself simply as a better manager mm. than Rishi Sunak.
0: Yeah, and that's the difference, isn't it? So in 97, there was a feeling of, you know, hope. Not in a kind of big, kind of Obama hope, but like, <laughs> or, like you know, the the, the Labour's theme song was things can only get better and stuff, yeah. wasn't there? There was a feeling that reforms is oh, was. Was going to be a change in the regime. Whereas with Starmer, you don't feel like that at all, do you? It's just more kind of... Uh, disgust that the conservatives. Yeah, not yet. You don't feel it, yeah. and
1: there's still people who who are saying, "Well, I don't really know what Keir Starmer stands for." And part of that is because he keeps rolling back on policies. Yeah, but as we get closer to an election, you'd imagine that that's going to change. I I'm I kind of give him a little bit of leeway because I'm assuming, I'm assuming he's doing everything because he's thought it through. Yeah, right. I don't so, I don't give him that leeway. Okay. Well, I I don't mean like, you know, I'm not I don't think I'm being too kind. I'm still an anarchist, right? But <laughs> I think I think uh some of the criticisms I've seen of him are a little bit simplistic because they come from well, I don't agree with him and I don't like Labour, which is fine. Yeah. But I'm trying to give him the benefit of the doubt in terms of how he's handling himself as leader of the opposition because that's quite a that's a specific role yeah. that you're that, that requires you to do certain things I don't think he's necessarily doing it well all the time but I'm assuming whatever he's doing has there's actually been some thought yeah. involved so I think sometimes we could be too early to judge whether he's doing the right thing or not because yeah. ultimately the judgment will be whether he wins an election or not yeah I see for me what I, I agree with that. And I do think he's
0: trying to navigate that, but I've seen in the last month or two him pivot more and more towards Tony Blair and yeah, no, Mandelson, yeah, and yeah. I I think that that is he's he's misread the room there. Yeah. And and I think that like you know he doesn't have to be a, a Corbyn like you know Corbyn is yeah. the kind of like this this kind of out and out social democrat, but at the same time he shouldn't be Labour. It should be his own thing. And he's yeah. not. And then he's trying to replicate that Blairite kind of politics which i find really alarming
1: yeah uh well i mean you, you know uh so I, I agree with that criticism he's 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 shifted to the right yeah he's shifted to the right at a time when the public is to the left yeah um the public are o- overwhelmingly to the left of the tories and they're to the left of the labor party mm. i'm sure of it
0: yeah no, i am too yeah, yeah
1: um i think that they would be i think jeremy corbyn's policies right now would be would be pushing open door yeah. really i think people would welcome that sort of policy intervention government intervention in their lives yeah um because i think they could see the benefit right now they actually want government to do something yeah. to do stuff and rishi sunak continues to be the uh, to be reluctant at doing anything in government yeah he doesn't see government as as that sort of role yeah i mean he is really that's right in in quite the extreme i think
0: yeah and the people around him i just find equally unimpressive as well mm. you know and um yeah
1: it's just it's, <laughs> yeah the conservatives have very few uh heavyweights now right yeah. uh, i think labor have better personnel um there's going to be a cabinet reshuffle that everybody's expecting in september and Keir Starmer's is going to Shuffle his team around as well, and uh, they'll be wanting to pick out like the key people that the electorate are going to recognize in a general election campaign. Because we know that the British public don't really pay much attention. Mm-hmm. There will be people out there right now who don't know who Keir Starmer is. No, for sure. There yeah. will be, I suspect, millions of people who don't know who Ed davy is. Yeah. Um, so yeah. you know, the Liberal Democrats have a huge problem in that regard. They're, yeah. they're just totally unknown um but come the general election people will be paying more of an interest and they've probably got the capacity to take on a few more key figures so that's going to be the the job of the two leaders they're going to be wanting to get those personnel in place that are going to be the most recognizable and the most hard-hitting
0: yeah.
1: easier job for starmer yeah the risk is that he uh because he doesn't seem to get there's lots of rumors he doesn't get on with angela rayner the deputy leader okay There's lots of rumours that he wants to kind of downplay her a little. And I think that would be a mistake.
0: I I think with Stammer as well, it's probably unfair and just attack on him. But, like, (laughs) he just just doesn't seem like he gets people. You know, like, he just – there just seems to be a lack of
1: empathy in him. I think he comes across like that, but I think that's his style. Yeah, he's just bureaucracy – personalized you know? yeah,
0: and it's just yeah and, and i think uh, and then when when i think that i think of someone like you know dwight Macdonald, which just says bureaucracy just breeds mediocrity yeah and it's yeah you know, and 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 that's customer for me mm. you know yeah
1: fair enough i think he comes across like that and i don't think that that from what i've heard about people who talk about him who know him right they talk about his warmth and his empathy and they talk about how he understands people and mm. they talk about his working class background and how he loves football mm. He doesn't come across like yeah. any of those things. Yeah. Doesn't come across as having a pint down the pub, but he is more like that yeah. than the previous uh, prime minister. But one I, I, uh, Boris Johnson. And, and
0: this is the thing: is also well, like Starmer, like Corbyn, is an Arsenal supporter, right? Yeah, which yeah, is where I am as well. And. Uh... <laughs> And, and I wouldn't want to be sitting next to Kit Starmer at a football match. Oh, that would be, like, oh, we'd need pictures of that. Yeah, like, you know, it's just kind of like, he's just not relatable in any kind of way, you know, and it's, uh, I think that's
1: problematic as well. Well, that, that's his problem that he's got to try and overcome. And every time he's tried to overcome it, it's made it worse. I've, mm-hmm. I've seen him several times doing interviews where he's set out who he is and what he stands for, but he's said slightly different things each time. There's some of the consistency of the messages is the problem as well. Yeah. But uh, we've only dealt with one of the one of the results. I just want to quickly mention the other two. So the one that Labour did win, Mm. uh, Selby and Ainsty in North Yorkshire, uh, that was that was significant. Yeah. I think there was a majority for the Conservatives at the last election of 20,000 votes Mm. and they overturned it. And I I heard recently that Keir Starmer goes around with a piece of paper in his pocket with the top 150 target seats that they that Labour want to win right. in ranked in order of difficulty. Right. Selby and East isn't even on that list because it's like in the 200s. Oh okay. So winning that seat <clears throat> suggests that they're doing very well and that Uxbridge and South Reistley was just purely about that ULES issue. Yeah. If they're winning in seats like Selby and they can replicate that at the next election, the Conservatives are screwed.
0: Yeah, but then I think so are we. Because <laughs> if, if they're winning that easy, you know, they're winning without policy, right? Mm. Then what kind of people are being voted in? So look at this this yeah. young chap that was voted in that kid yeah. something, 25-year-old, right? Yeah. I looked up this kid. Oxford graduate. Yeah. Intern for a conservative MP. Yeah. Uh a Labour MP actually. West and Streeting, conservative. Oh really? Yeah. Oh he's a- done both. And done yeah. kind of like lobbying for some <laughs> um commerce. Yes. Yeah. You know, and, and is that the kind of young Labour candidate you want
1: it's the well i mean labor have been very tight on who they've allowed to be candidates right for the next and election. these are the people that are getting yeah. these, these absolutely sh- so
0: like I, I don't think this is a cause for <laughs> celebration
1: yeah. oh I, i'm i was just trying to suggest yeah. what i think is going to happen yeah. i'm not necessarily saying it's brilliant i think uh if if it pans out the way i think it's going to pan out labor are going to potentially win big well they've got the potential to win big I don't know if it's going to pan out like that. Um, and that's problematic in itself, a mm. uh, government with lots of power. We've got, we've got a system which, once the government gets into power, gives them control of parliament and gives them whatever legislation they want, pretty much, and they can do what they like. Mm. And um, it would be much healthier to have something closer. Yeah. Um, but then what we'd be talking about is labor government that was at risk of being brought down at any moment from the conservatives if at least <laughs> what, they have
0: to do something then whatever
1: <laughs> way we look at it we're screwed <laughs> yeah, <right>? yeah, yeah. <laughs> so i expect that but um uh, selby and hd uh, selby is a small a small town um and it's so this constituency that labor won is is really rural it's farmland and um i used to live not not far from, they're one of the many places I've lived in in England, um, and it kind of suggests that that the Conservative support has dropped in in a kind of farming community, um, and farming communities have been really uh, struck bad by Brexit, mm. and so it makes so we could say that this 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 these elections now are no longer about Brexit, but Brexit has perhaps had an impact, I yeah. would say. Um, if, if the Conservatives are losing support in a constituency which is really rural, where there are hardly any graduates, because graduates tend to vote Labour, or at least not Conservative, um, they're, they're, in, they're in trouble. Mm. Um, and a similar sort of story comes out of Somerton and Froome, uh, where the Liberal Democrats overturned a big Conservative majority. Um, that's the sort of seat that you would not expect Labour to be taking anyway. Yeah. Um, and so it, it's one fewer seats for, for the Conservatives. Again, if it's replicated at a general election, it's the sort of thing that you did see in 1997. Right. Labour did not get their deposit back in Somerton and room, their vote collapsed dramatically. Right because Labour supporters were deliberately voting Lib Dem. Right,
0: okay. So
1: tactical voting is coming back potentially in a big way. Mm. That's good news for the Lib Dems, good news for Labour. Well, There's no good news for us. No, I, no, I know no. that's what you're going to say. Yeah, no, there, I agree, there isn't, yeah. there isn't. Um, no idea what Labour will do in government, but if they win big, they'll be able to do whatever they like. Yeah. There you go, that's my assessment. Yeah, no, I, no, I agree was that all right yeah 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 i'm I'm, (laughs) I'm happy to end it there yeah yeah cool okay well let's let's have a think about um anarchy at the bbc shall we yeah
0: let's do it yeah
1: okay anarchy at the bbc then our first look at how uh the bbc has discussed presented anarchism over the years yeah we've chosen an episode of in our time right but Which before is... we do that oh actually, yeah sorry Go yeah on. i'm gonna cut you off you jump on the gun uh
0: <laughs> should talk about how this came about because you discovered one of the earliest bbc productions oh yeah on anarchism right
1: yeah that's right yeah so i was i i, I thought it'd be fun to take a look at how anarchism has been presented by the bbc over the years and i found a very early television drama um which was i think it was like two weeks into television being broadcast in this country right um and uh, one of the characters in the drama was louise michelle right so um yeah that kind of just got me in, inspired to to look into it a little bit more i found a newspaper cutting about it as well this was only the second week of television right. and a, a, a tv critic if they existed in those days uh someone had written into the newspaper saying that television wasn't as good as it used to be <laughs> like well, two weeks two weeks weeks. <laughs> <in>. <laughs> so so nothing changes really like there mm. used to be a lot lot of good stuff on television, but now now we now we get this sort of thing. actually, they were saying that the drama was the drama was really good. it was based on a based on a play um, and it doesn't exist now they they mm. it's not something that was taped right it was something that was um performed live adapted from the play, performed live, and then they did a repeat, which meant they had to perform it live again. Right. Um, So really early days of television, and it's all lost. And I haven't been able to find anything out about the play that it was based on. But it was interesting just to know that right from the beginning of BBC TV, some kind of anarchist uh, yeah. figure in, involved involved with it um in our time though how would you describe in our time as a as a series
0: um so it's yeah radio show my bad uh, <laughs> that uh, every week its host malvin bragg uh has usually three academics with him and they will talk about a different subject uh kind of Uh, even kind of philosophy they they focus on and and especially enlightenment thinkers are and then key historical events so they have a philosophy they have a history but and then also science as well yeah and then kind of developments in science and key sciences so it's kind of yeah a bit bit kind of you know presenting kind of ideas and and researching the humanities to a wider audience but then also a bit of science in there as well and I, i think kind of scientific discoveries and developments that have a uh, societal impact yeah I think that's kind of the um, the, the, uh, I, I, the 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 aim Alan Melvin Bragg kind of structures the the interview in a way where he gets academics to talk about these issues in a kind of digestible um, yeah
1: and he gets quite true. frustrated when they don't focus on on his questions. Yeah, he's well. great. He cuts them off, doesn't he? Yeah, he's, he's very good. Yeah. Uh, one of the things we should specify as well, though, is that it is historical in terms of they have like a time frame that they don't really go beyond. Yeah. So recently I've noticed more up-to-date uh, events and issues that they discuss, but on the whole, most of their episodes are about things before the First World War. Yeah. Well, that's kind of like the general the general rule. Yeah. Um and so th- in any discussion that they have about anarchism, there's a risk that it's gonna come across as a historical thing yeah. rather than a current. Yeah, yeah. And I think that does come across in this particular episode. Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah. One of the things I also wanted to say is that I don't know how many people are going to be able to like find this around the world, but certainly yep. in the UK, it's on BBC Sounds and you can find it on the BBC yeah. website. It might be available in other territories as well. Yeah, I, I, I listen to it on Spotify. So it's on Spotify.
0: Oh, okay. uh, yeah. So I suspect, I mean, it's got to be in uh, around the world in North America and BBC America and stuff like yeah. that, so I would think so yeah.
1: let me read you what it says on the BBC website about this particular episode, so it says "Mel, this is anarchism, Melvin Bragg and guests discuss anarchism and why its political ideas became synonymous with chaos and disorder, right yeah. <laughs> so that tells us that we're being set up to talk about uh, anarchism and chaos and disorder. I'm not sure that that's what the episode really does. No, it doesn't at all. I think it's much more favourable than that.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, because the guests as well, right? Yeah. Who are the guests? So you got Ruth Kinner, who's there, and a uh, friend, Ruth, and then Peter Marshall, who published, well, wrote Demanding the Impossible, and then also work on *Good uh, Goodman. Uh, Godwin, excuse me. Uh, and then uh, John Keane, who is a kind of historian of political ideas interested in conceptions of democracy. Um, I think he's at the University of Sydney now, I think he was at Westminster and also wrote a really good biography on Thomas Paine. Hmm. So, he's,
1: uh, yeah. When I first started, so I listened to it when it first came out, which was 2006. And I listened to it again today, uh, a long time after, yeah. um, and i think when i first saw it i thought wow a 45 minute program looking at anarchism on the bbc this is this is unusual um 45 minutes they zip through some of this stuff yeah so quick
0: especially because i feel like they they spend way too much time on precursors to anarchism as well uh which kind of plays into the um that it was tied by Woodcock in his history of anarchism with this kind of like streams to anarchy or rivers to anarchy, whatever you bloody call it. Allen uh, was really taken up by Peter Marshall in *Demanding the Impossible* and kind of including Taoism and the Stoics
1: yeah. and all of
0: these people and this kind of this libertarian yeah. spirit, which comes from Kropotkin's definition of anarchism in mm. *Encyclopedia Britannica* um but kropotkin kind of does it in a way just to kind of like a throwaway kind of there's been this yeah, anti-state yeah. spirit but this is really kind of fleshed out and demanding the impossible and they talk about this in in the podcast which i thought was getting away from it but funnily yeah. enough it was it was john keenan uh in the podcast he was like i think that's anachronistic to be talking about think, like that. and then yeah. they drop it but they'd waste i think about 15 minutes on it yeah
1: yeah i don't think it's as long as that but yeah um, but I, I found that sort of that sort of discussion quite interesting because, and we've talked about it, uh, I think, not on the podcast so much, but we've talked about it in the past about how um, you can get very caught up in Marx and the First International and how anarchism emerges through that and ignore a whole <clears throat> load of stuff which which could mean that anarchism emerged, emerges in other places and, and does other things and could have emerged anyway yeah. and so on and so forth. So I, I, I quite like a discussion about, about those things. I'd yeah. like to know more about them.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I get that i don't really have much time for that to be honest i yeah. uh, for me it's more uh, yeah, i yeah i agree i think it's completely anachronistic and and, and borderline mm-hmm. so it's like so for me yeah it's it's i'm interested in people who self identify as anarchism if i'm talking about anarchism yeah yeah you know yeah. because then you're you're kind of you know then it's an act of polepsis and and i think that we don't we don't need to be doing that. We need to understand people on their own terms and not calling people anarchists before anarchism was a thing, right?
1: Yeah. You can so talk you're about getting this. rid of Godwin then. You shouldn't talk about Godwin. I think God-
0: Godwin's in point in the sense that, that that was the point, like, you know, I think it was Kupak and first and then other people where it's like, okay, this is where our the the kind of what we call anarchism that was the text that we've really built from yeah so i think he's important and you know yeah. and 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 with with godwin you know he was you know Percy Shetty and that and there's that, that that poem on anarchism and stuff so there is there is that language yeah, around sure. him anyway so um yeah i i think that like I, that's where i draw the line godwin
1: yeah okay so, yeah, yeah no i i i think that's fair enough i think i suppose I suppose what I'm saying is that in a 45 minute episode, uh, you end <laughs> up, you end up glossing over everything anyway, don't you? Yeah. Uh, sure. And I think some of those issues could have, could have been an episode in themselves. Like, In Our Time is a series that regularly looks at liberal philosophers Yeah. and regularly talks about events in republican history and yeah. you know all of that sort of stuff uh you know they've done they've done episodes on uh you know on Rousseau yeah. uh, uh you know John Stuart Mill I think and and you know uh, the social contract the idea of the social contract also yeah. as well as the French revolution and yeah. all sorts of stuff anarchism gets 1 45 minutes right? and
0: then even when it has that it you know he does ask ruth okay well, what did the anarchists make of Rousseau So he's still kind of contextualizing the anarchism within this language that the listeners will be familiar
1: with. I made a list of the things that cropped up in 45 minutes. So uh, I'll just go through this, just rattle through it. the English Civil War, the French Revolution, uh, anarchism in ancient Greece, hmm? Uh, religious anarchism, the existence of the state as a modern part of life rather than something that we've always had. Godwin, Rousseau and the idea of natural freedom, Proudhon, Bakunin and the criticism of Marx, uh, anarchism uh, and assassinations, anarchist newspapers, Kropotkin, anarchism spreading in rural areas, uh, Catalonia, and then about 15 seconds on what anarchism has been like since Spain.
0: Yeah. I don't know if you Um, listed it, but also the Paris Commune. I don't know if you said Paris Commune.
1: Oh, did they do a – did they talk about that? Yeah, Peter Marshall. Oh, yes. Yeah, you're right. They did. Yeah. Yeah, that's right um yeah i
0: missed that out but also it's it's very history of ideas in the sense that it it explains the development of anarchism through key thinkers rather than through movement activity yeah so that's something that people you know should be kind of aware of if they want to go into it then they're not going to get hey these are the anarchist groups that did this stuff this stuff um it's kind of the development of the thought through a kind of canon of thinkers and yeah. and it was all men that they were talking about as well. Yeah, that's true. You know, they yeah. talked about the Paris Commune, but they didn't really talk about Louise Michel. Yeah, you know, Goldman didn't even come up. I don't think. No,
1: I point. don't think there was uh, any mention at all.
0: Yeah, I mean, I know Peter Marshall brought up you know
1: anarchists being interested in free love and stuff and anarchist yeah. women,
0: but that was kind of just passing.
1: Yeah, um, but I thought that for what it did, I thought that the discussion was good. You know, it was um, it was positive. It was uh, not embracing the idea that anarchism is chaos and disorder. It was yeah. very much trying to correct that idea. And I felt as though Melvin Bragg was, uh, as the presenter, was um, uh, was happy to do that. He was comfortable giving it a fair hearing rather yeah. than doing what often you find uh, with other... Um, you know, when we get on to other mentions of anarchism... Uh, via the bbc we will see that they take a a different approach at times that it yeah. is just presented as chaos uh, and disorder yeah so i thought i felt it was quite positive yeah it was
0: it was john Keane that brought up uh anarchism and terrorism wasn't in the gun yeah. and then he said this and then immediately after roof kind of put that to bed and was like "Well, anarchists really spread that message through newspapers yes you know so, yeah and and, and yeah Malvin didn't really want to go there of the terrorism assassination he was yeah. more interested in in the newspapers
1: and stuff and the, the thought Yeah absolutely I, I I was pleased by that yeah. because it would be so easy to just lapse into that sort of uh, that sort of basic discussion But I
0: think that was also because it was very history of ideas based mm. it's, it's more what well, he was more interested in what were they thinking and why were they thinking that rather than what did they do Yeah you know it yeah. so kind of played to it Yeah
1: absolutely And I suppose if you go down that route, well, you could you could look at every kind of ideology and and pinpoint absolute horrific things that have been done in the name of it, as well. And and way worse than
0: anarchism. I mean, liberalism and all the rest of them are way more bloody than anarchism. Yeah,
1: yeah, we get a bad rep, don't we? Yeah. I mean, sometimes anarchism might deserve it as well, but
0: it's it's a lack of lack of like thinking as well in that people will say anarchism is, is is violent because of disorder you know and then you know think that that equates to mass violence without kind of realizing that when you have such like strong organization of of violence i the mm. state, you know that's clearly more capable of like a more awesome power of like uh violence and 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 destruction mm. but that's like you know that that's that's seen as like as 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 order you know Mm. it's 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 a really weird like way of thinking about it like completely irrationally you know um yeah
1: i found the bit about Rousseau really interesting um this idea of natural freedom and and a different kind of idea of the state of nature from what hobbes and Locke were maybe looking at yeah um i don't know how much you know about that yeah
0: so like hobbes hobbes is like you know state of nature is short brutish and violent you know and we need the leviathan to protect us from the state of nature and that chaos and that violence you know because it you know and then in the state of nature you have the right to violence the self-defense but within the leviathan i am within the nation state you give up your right to violence to yeah. the state and the state protects you in return um and 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 that's a that's nece- that's the sort of the, so the vivians a necessary evil because of the state of nature be, nature being so brutish. Mm. whereas Rousseau comes along and is like no actually the state of nature is you know kind of um is, is 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 isn't is violence and it is harmless and we do have these these natural freedoms and everything and we live the more natural uh harmless life and then it was through the act of civilization that corrupted us and then you know so it's, it's, this is where this idea of noble savages comes from, from mm. so you know and yeah. then in civilization we become corrupted and then the, there's the necessity for the state so it's he flips it yeah. You know, and, and and that's yeah, kind of what like anarchists like. But then also with Hobbes, he had um, a text before the Lilophiven called A Vindication of Natural Society, where it's kind of more open to a kind of um, more open to anarchists, and anarchists mm-hmm. read it. And uh, Liked it, you know, and I read it kind of directly that like mm-hmm. Hobbes actually did mean that like kind of natural society was kind of you know harmonious. And then the Hobbesian like sympathizers later on was like now nah, he was being you know cynical or like whatever. Yeah, he didn't really believe it. He was joking around. But yeah, I Anikas mean, read that face right. So yeah, so it's it's that's the kind of like background to that. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's yeah, an interesting interesting discussion about that and and where it where it gets us and um and I suppose also. Links, links to republicanism and yeah. how anarchism was developing uh, around similar times around themes to do with rights and stuff. There's a whole kind of connection to anarchism and liberalism, isn't there? Yeah. in in that way, which they didn't really, didn't really get into because no. then they started to move on to. Proudhon and property and then marx yeah
0: yeah that's the thing Uh, john Keane kind of pushed it that way when he was kind of talking about the split in the first international which is that kind of like very standard understanding of the development of anarchism and you know he said that's when like red and black split but i you know i think that's too simplistic and and here i kind of you know like the recent research actually by ruth and, and and alex pritchard When they say anarchism developed out of a response to the failures of Republican ideals Mm. and the Republican project, Mm. rather than the split with Marx, you know, because before the First International and that split, the, the, the socialist, um, you know, there were the socialist movement. Most people were revolutionary socialists, i.e., anarchists in all but name. Yeah. Uh, and then it was really after the split, and then really kind of, you know, early 20th century where socialism became so state-centered. Mm. Before that, it was very anti-state across the board. And and so so you can't really say anarchism developed in response to Marxism. Marxism really developed in response to anarchism or, or revolutionary socialism. So. Um, so, yeah, so that's the Bella narrative to go with. And then that's when you can talk about people like not just Rousseau, but also someone like Wilhelm von Humboldt and his the limits of, of the state. And also John Stuart Mill, these classical liberals who you know, um, you know, people have a misremembering of them. I, I've I been reading like Humboldt recently, it's mm. amazing. And it's, you know, this classical liberals were for the sovereignty of the individual and for, you know, workers control of production yeah. for a lot of time and everything. You know, they weren't these like free marketeers that mm. they're kind of painted as now. Yeah. And and the anarchists come along and, you know, they're reading people like Humboldt and what well, Kropotkin certainly was. And then a lot of the American anarchists that I look at were reading John Stuart Mill. Mm. And they're like, look, this stuff's good. And yeah. if you take this to his logical conclusions, it's anarchism. Yeah. So it's kind of using a lot of these Republican ideals mm. in a way, you know. So it's that's the development of, of, of mm. anarchism that I find more interesting. And then when you look at people like Bakunin and, and and Proudhon through that lens, then, you know, Proudhon's writing on political theology and, you know, he's writing on religion became much more important than he spat with Marx.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, uh, even going a bit further back to, to John Locke, um a lot makes a link between work and wealth yeah and that people should people should be able to keep what they work well. yeah you know that, that that their labor matters um obviously when you then make right uh, property a right it then becomes yeah if it's enshrined in law, perhaps um, yeah, the system. Yeah. Locke but,
0: gets really dodgy when he's like, you know, um, you have a right to create value from land and someone yeah. isn't creating value for land, then you have yeah. a right to do that. And then that was the kind of justification for a lot of colonialism, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the destruction of indigenous peoples in the United States. That's where he gets dodgy. But yeah, you oh, put it right. Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah, I think there's there's plenty mm-hmm. that is dodgy yeah. uh, in it. And, um, you know, the, the whole system uh, owes an awful lot awful lot to him um uh but but we're talking about how people react to that as well yeah and and you know one of the criticisms of it is that it formalizes property rights yeah in in law and um that means that there's a status quo that is protected um through through property
0: but it's a narrow of, of what private property is as well, isn't it? Yeah. Because it's so with the classical liberals and um and the early anarchists who believed in private property, they believed in private property in a sense of you own the fruits of your labor, right? Mm. Whereas now private property is kind of more this Marxian yeah. sense of um Means of production, or mm. or property, or you know, or shelter. Yeah. You know, so it's 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 rent extraction. Yeah. And it's extraction of surplus labor. That's what the right to private property is. Yeah. We don't have the right to our private property that we what we produce. No, indeed. So it's a different yeah. conception of property.
1: Yeah. And a whole load of issues on inheritance and things. like Right. That well. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's hugely and hugely this is uh, problematic. This,
0: this different distinction of private property is where a lot of contemporary anarchists. Fuck up because they don't fully understand how someone like Bakunin or Proudhon conceptualized private property and that they were against pri- private property in the sense of one person owning the means of production, having a monopoly on resources and stuff. They didn't believe this. Yeah. You know, um, so I think, you know, and that's why I think a lot of these people sometimes get thrown out of the out of the discussion and out of reading groups and then also then anarchism becomes quite a narrow understanding of anarchist communism as well Mm. right and so, yeah i I think like anarchists don't talk about private property nearly enough they just kind of completely ceded that to to right-wing libertarians and then also um you know these kind of like free market anarchists like the society for a stateless or center for stateless society and stuff like this you know um where i think that like you know Anarchists, communists, and syndicalists. There's a, there's a discussion that I have about what does property mean, yeah. even in a syndical society, because you're going to have to represent possessions. Yeah. What does that look like? Yeah,
1: and and also on the left, uh, the, the the discussion. Uh, the discussion from Marxists has kind of yeah. just been allowed to kind of Well no close. one has
0: private property in in, in that because yeah. the state owns everything. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, exactly, like...
1: exactly. But but that also then links to what kind of economy you have to have and there isn't enough yeah, discussion yeah in anarchism about what an anarchist economy might look like. And it's almost, I think, uh, so a lot of people, you know, who might identify as anarcho communist might know what that means. I'm not sure I understand what kind of economy that is going to mean. I'm not sure that I'm against markets per se. Yeah, same, yeah. Uh, But I'm against the free market and I'm against capitalism. Yeah, for sure. And I'm a socialist. For sure. So but we but it's almost like you can't even say the things i've just yeah. said
0: but then the right? irony is as well is that the, even the anarchist communists don't know what anarchist communism is because we haven't really seen it
1: yeah yeah so, so they
0: they're just speculating they don't yeah. know so it's you know and and it's, so this is why I, kind of my journey i've kind of come to this position of yeah. anarchism without adjectives you know it's kind of the clarion position um you just kind of open and like i think that there is a discussion to have about different types of economy but that's important in the sense that that kind of informs the political side of anarchism and what does liberty mean yeah and what does freedom mean and, yeah. and then a part of that is people taking control of their communities and deciding for themselves what economic system works best in their environment
1: and yeah and you wrote about that in terms of declare i think in your in your thesis yeah you? Exactly. You were about yeah, yeah. experimenting with a market or an economy yeah without Specifying exactly how it will work. Yeah, because that's freedom, that's
0: liberty, isn't it? Yeah, and this is this comes from the other anarchist, I really like, Gustav Landau. He yeah. says freedom is what people decided to be, yeah. which is really scary and dangerous. But like that is the purest form of freedom. We're,
1: we're kind of stepping away from this episode of In Our Time a little yeah, bit. Yeah. Um. But one of the things it doesn't really cover is is exactly what anarchism would look like because I guess it's there's not enough time, and also where would you get to? with that but that is yeah. a that is a problem we all have isn't it yeah. that people look at anarchism people who aren't anarchists and think oh what, how would this work what's this about how yeah and we find that difficult to answer
0: yeah and it's hard to do that because because in the show they introduce prudan they introduce kropotkin but we have to lens introduce those characters to a wide audience yeah so you gotta lose and you lose a bunch of time of Kropotkin did this 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 Mm. did this this is the kind of person they were and then you know so you lose a you know maybe a quarter of the time where you can be explaining more about the philosophy and stuff yeah so it's it's difficult so it's like i yeah it's not criticism of the show like i think they did they covered a heck of a lot
1: yeah they did yeah yeah. Yeah. in a short amount of time and um and with enough to be really interesting yeah just it's nice when you're left wanting more yeah but i feel as though it 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 could have been at least another quarter of an hour maybe longer um and some of those subjects you could you could do a full episode on yeah incidentally they have haven't they one on kropotkin yeah yeah there's one on kropotkin so at some point we will get to talk about that and listen to it but i suppose we we can probably just about finish this discussion there and encourage people to find it um in our time anarchism is the name of the episode yeah give it a try see what you think yeah then i guess
0: we'll go over other um other shows that the bbc have touched on anarchism and stuff and yes see I think, how it's been represented across the board or have it has it
1: changed over time i think next like, time we yeah. should do a drama okay yeah how about that yeah that would be cool wouldn't it yeah. rather than something factual let's let's look at how they've represented anarchism in in i don't know in in a popular tv drama yeah. I've good. got some ideas on that. Okay. All right. So. Uh, and also we should invite people to contact us. They can find yeah. our email. Can't they? I can't remember what it's called. Yeah. A little bigger anarchism at Gmail. Um, okay. That's simple. Gmail.com. Dot com. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. They
0: want to get in touch. And then
1: um, there's a Twitter. You do that. Twitter. Handle. Yeah. Twitter. I can't remember what it is again, but yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll, put, we'll put the links on. Well, um, Twitter's X now, isn't it? I <laughs> yeah. Well, hasn't changed. <laughs> hasn't changed. It's uh it's a web um, address, yeah. Yeah, that um, we've got a Patreon uh, forward slash
0: Little bit of your Anarchism, and if you want to help us out, I learn a kofi. If you want to shoot us a donation, kofi.com or dot net. I forget.
1: That could pay for this uh, nice new microphone. Yeah, hopefully the sounds better this time. We got. Yeah, a, hopefully a the sounds better. Yeah. Who knows? Give us some feedback. Yeah. In touch. All right. Should we leave it there for this time? Yeah. All right. Excellent. Well, we will be back. Yeah, hopefully next month. (laughs) Thank you. Bye-bye.